Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, I'm glad you're here today. I'm very excited about today. I've been looking forward to this all week. We're beginning a group of messages I would call a sermon series within a sermon series on the book of John. And four messages on being born again. I don't think there's a more important topic in the whole Bible. I don't think there's one more relevant to the church, to us, to to all, to everybody. Um, I, I'm going to tell you about this passage of scripture. We're going to read in just a moment in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I've preached this message several times, not this message, because normally when I preach this, I will preach uh, John 3, 1 through 16. And so... You gotta get to chapter 3 verse 16, so you kinda go through verses 1 through 8 quickly. Might give a point, might just talk about it, but I'm gonna tell you, it's really profound stuff. And all of us should stop and listen and learn. AJ has sung some beautiful songs today about the Holy Spirit. And this is what this passage is about. Jesus is confronting us with the change that's necessary in our life. So I want to read it to you and then we're going to talk about it today in our time that we have. Chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to him, that is Jesus at night, and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed at what I told that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Speak clearly to us through it today. In Jesus name I ask. Amen. Um, We're going to talk. About the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I tell you this story and I'm going to tell your age if you recognize it. Back in the 1970s, then President Jimmy Carter did an interview in Playboy magazine as the President of the United States. I think it's the first time I've ever mentioned Playboy magazine in the pulpit. <laughs> but he was interviewed by Playboy magazine. It, it was stunning news for everybody. And in that interview, Jimmy Carter said that he was born again, a born again Christian. And the world was amazed at that word. And it began a movement, a national discussion that really has continued until today. And I know that was back, I don't, sometime in the seventies. Uh, being born again became a fad name, a change as a word for change. Uh, every movie star that came back and reinvented their career was born again. 
and politicians and preachers, businesses, regular folks would use the term born again to mean a radical change in their life. From that discussion came a perception and it developed over the years and I think it continues to today in the media and in academia that everybody who's born again is a religious and a political fundamentalist that they don't believe in change which is really strange because born again means radical change but it has come to stand for people politically they don't they don't want to change it's a political label for anybody resisting the trends and the currents of our culture and so that's part of it and that's part of the name when you hear the word born again you think that as well also i think even in a Bible believing church like our own, a lot of people get confused about the term born again. You have a different idea about it. Uh, some people believe that a born again Christian or to be born again, that means you come to the altar, the church votes on you and you become a member and you serve the church, not necessarily Jesus for the rest of your life. I want to tell you all three of those ideas about being born again are completely false. They are completely false. They are not biblical. And when you leave today, you will understand exactly, I hope, as best as I can convey to you this wonderful passage, what being born again means. If somebody says that they're a Christian, but they're not a born again Christian, then I'm going to tell you that is utterly false. Because if you are a Christian, you are a born again Christian. You have been born in a new way. By the Spirit of God. That's what that means. If you say you're a born-again Christian, it's like I'm saying I'm a Christian Christian. It's redundant. It has to happen that way. You cannot be a Christian unless you're born again. It results in a profound life change, a new direction, a new outlook. And as I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a new future too. So it's a whole new life. You ought to know what it is. We all ought to know what it is. Jesus gives us a picture of the value of being born again. It's one of the most, I don't know, I just love this passage of scripture. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, it's called the parable of the pearl. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went out and sold everything he had and he bought it. In the day of Jesus, a pearl was a valuable, the most priceless gem because the only way to get a pearl was to dive into the ocean and get it. And a lot of the people that dove into the ocean and got it died doing it. So a pearl was very much more so than a diamond. And Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven, listen, church, the value of the kingdom of heaven in your life and my life is like a merchant who finds a pearl that's very valuable And he goes out and sells everything to get it. That's how valuable the kingdom of heaven is in your life. And and I hope and I pray that all of us, and we grasp it in varying degrees. Some may not grasp it all. Some, Some may not believe that in any way applies to them in their life. But I hope that for most of us that there's some degree of you that say, you know, I know, I understand, I can see it, I just don't quite Get it. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that you should be willing to give up everything in your life to get it. Because in the end, that's the only thing of any value. Because the Bible teaches us that Christ 
who's the Son of God, the only sinless man that ever lived on the earth, went to a Roman cross and died an excruciating death that our sins could be forgiven on that cross. That's the value of the kingdom of God. So we want to talk about that today. I, I want you to see that today. Jesus said that there are things that you can only do if you're born again. And I pulled out two or three scriptures and you'll recognize them. But I will tell you that there's such a life change and there's such a reorientation of ourselves that there's some things that only we can do if we're born again. He said in, in Matthew, he said it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He said it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Without a new birth, a rich man or a woman will never take their eyes off their own wealth. Only with a new birth can you do that. Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up a cross daily, and follow me. And without being born again, nobody would take that law. Nobody would say, I'm not following that guy anywhere to take up a cross and do that. And that's, but when you're born again, that's what you do. The disciples that followed Jesus, 11 of them, all of them died as martyrs. They all saw what Jesus did and they went to their death following him. John lived out in old age, but he martyred. He, he gave up his life and martyred him. I mean, he, he suffered mightily. Jesus said, and also in Matthew, a rich young ruler came to Jesus at night and said, what did he need to get eternal life? Jesus says, go, give away all your goods to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says that he went away sadly because he had many possessions. You see, he wasn't born again. He wasn't willing to give up his wealth without Christ in his life. So you got to know, we got to know, without follow, without a new birth, following Jesus is impossible. Let me look at three points. I have three points and then I have a conclusion. So I'll, I want to get there. First thing we got to say is rebirth has to happen to enter the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus tells us. It has to happen. I want you to see the picture here in your Bible. In John chapter 3 verse 1, a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he came to him at night. They say that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, probably to ask questions, maybe to avoid the crowds. He might be a little nervous. He he wanted to have a little privacy maybe. Maybe he didn't want everybody to see him. Let me tell you about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a one of the 6,000 or so Pharisees in the Jewish nation of that day. There Life, we, we say, we preachers, we give Pharisees a hard time, but they were good people. They, they followed the Word of God as carefully as they could. They lived their whole life to follow the Word of God. You know, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, honor the Sabbath. They created over 300 laws to honor the Sabbath. You, uh, couldn't tie a bow on the Sabbath day. You could, Pull, if, if, if yesterday, if I dropped the bucket and the rope down in the well, I could pull it up on the Sabbath, but I couldn't drop it down on the Sabbath. I had to have it prepared. I mean, you see, you say, well, Jim, that's ridiculous. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to be careful that they followed the Sabbath. And they did this for everything that they did. Every aspect. Can you imagine how difficult their life was? I mean, they... They were so caught up in everything. They were meticulous to follow the law. The law that God had gave them. So when God's son came into the world, then they were so busy following the law that they couldn't see who Jesus was. 
But the Pharisees were basically good people. The Bible says that not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, but that he was a leader of the Jews. He was one of the Sanhedrin, a hundred of them who led the Jewish nation. A, a ruling class. This was a young man because we see Nicodemus at the crucifixion of Jesus. He would give the tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And then later on, we would see him even in secular history near the fall of Rome in 72. So he was probably a young man at this time. And he was a young, accomplished fellow who had, who had done a lot. It's, it's like he was a young Billy Graham. He was a, he was a, a religious man that everybody respected and everybody liked and everybody knew about. And, and he was somebody with promise and who, who knew the law and who, who listened to God. And he comes to Jesus at night and, and he says, listen, teacher, I know you're a good man because nobody could do the things that you could do unless they're from God. And Nicodemus didn't even get the question out. Probably had a question. We don't know what it was. And Jesus turned around to him and says, unless you're born again, You'll never see the kingdom of God. Now, I think about that statement. I think, what a, what a stunning statement to a guy like that. I mean, it's very abrupt. It's confrontational. If I, if I said that to somebody on the street, they would step back. You know, it's, it's an absolute, the, the, um, the, the linguists call it an absolute imperative. In other words, you have to do it. It's not something that's optional. It's blunt. It's I assure you in my translation, if you have a King James Bible, it's verily, verily. When Jesus says this, put an asterisk on it and listen to it, church. He is saying to you, absolutely, this is something you have to do. This is from the word of Jesus. When you go out of here and tell somebody at lunch, oh, we preached on the being born again. And they'll say, oh, you don't have to be born again to be a Christian. I will tell you that's not what Jesus said. He tells us emphatically. You have to be born again to be a Christian. He says emphatically, you have to be born again, regardless of your price or your privilege or your standing or your knowledge or your service or your position, regardless of who you are, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. It's a requirement. Probably surprised Nicodemus. He probably, like, me? I mean, I'm a Jew, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a member of the Sanhedrin, and I spend my life all in the law. I haven't even asked you a question and you tell me this. It's a, it's a powerful statement. Now, the kingdom of God, what is that? Well, let me tell you, the kingdom of God is a place and it's condition. It's a place. It's in our relationship with God. When you enter into a relationship with Christ, Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is right here. It's in your life. You have God's presence in your life. You have the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That's a powerful help. We have, and and you know, church, AJ, I'm glad you sang all those songs about the Holy Spirit. Because we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. I mean, we think the Holy Spirit is in the realm of the Pentecostal folks. But it's ours too. We, We believe that when you become a believer, the Bible says that God's Spirit comes to reside in you. It lives in you. Boy, isn't that a great thing? Jesus, we're going to talk about it later in John. He says, comforter, a a counselor, an advisor, a helper. It's God's spirit. So 
So the kingdom of God can come right into our world. That doesn't fix everything, but we certainly have God's help. We have his counsel. We can go to the throne of grace. We can go to God in prayer. We, we could do a lot of things with the kingdom of God. But also the kingdom of God is a place. And Jesus describes the kingdom of God as a place that one day when we die, we will go to the kingdom of God. We will go there. You, in fact, church, we're going to live there. We're going to live in the kingdom of God. Isn't that great stuff? I mean, when you leave this world, you're going to go to the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, oh, I wrote this down. One of the commentators, I like this. He says, as soon as we see clearly what the kingdom of God is, we also see that by nature we don't belong to it. Because when I start hearing all of these descriptions about the kingdom of God, I say, well, I'm not worthy to be there. I'm not competent enough to be there. The kingdom of God is a state of willing subjection to God, a state which we are in a right relationship with him. So that's what it is. Got to know that. So Nicodemus then turns to Jesus and says, but how can anybody be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And of course, we know that's a physical impossibility. It can't happen. Uh, it, it doesn't work on your own. Nicodemus might be thinking, do I have... To go become a little child again and be born again? That's not possible. Did, did he think on a grander scale? Do I have to give up everything that I've ever done and cancel all that out and start all over again? And he knew he couldn't do that either. So he was really in a pickle. Let me tell you, being born again is something that only God does. It's not something that you do. I heard, heard a great preacher say some time ago, he said, if somebody is, if you're telling somebody your testimony in any part of it, you say, I did, then you miss the whole thing. Because God does it all. You and I don't do anything. That's the great part about it. There's not anything that we can do. You can't be born again any more than you can enter into your mother's womb and be born again a second time. That's impossible. It is impossible for you to affect your own new birth. You can't do it. Let me tell you what the new birth is. It is powerful. It is something that is entirely different. It is not what you started with when you... When you start with a little baby, when you end up with a little baby, you start with two cells. I mean, it's hard to believe we could get there. It's a miracle. Every time we see a baby, the the first thing that I know a lot of Christians, I hear this all the time, they're a miracle. I mean, it's a miracle to see a little baby. It is a miracle. A miracle, it starts with a male cell and a female cell, and you end up with that. How about that for a miracle? That's a new birth. It's something entirely different. It's something that you didn't do. It's not your doing. A new birth revol- involves a future. Boy, I, li- I love this passage of scripture in First Peter. If you don't have it underlined, you ought to underline it in your Bible. First Peter chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God of uh, uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. Listen, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. It's not just hope; it's a living hope. And an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading kept in heaven for you. Because of your relationship with Christ, Christ has given us an inheritance in heaven that's saved right there for you. Cannot be destroyed. Can't be taken away. Can't be denied. Can't any illness or accident or tragedy deny you of that. It is yours. It is your inheritance. Isn't that great? That's, that's what he promises. That's, that's the future. That's the future of the new birth. That's what he gives us. Billy Graham said that 
70 years, 75 years ago, he sat in a revival service under a former baseball player named Mordecai Ham. It was an old tent revival service down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Went five nights. He was invited by a friend. He was 16 years old. Sat for five nights in these revival services. Every night, said his friend invited him the first night. Every other night, he felt compelled to come back. He said he felt God begin to work on him. By the last night, he walked down the altar and gave his life over to Christ and said something amazing happened in his life. I would say it sure did. Because Billy Graham went on to preach to more people than even the Apostle Paul. And probably more people have made professions of faith because of his ministry. From an old, tired, wore-out baseball player, probably had no idea what he was saying that night would lead to that kind of explosion. That is new birth. Church, that's how important it is for us to invite people to church. Because somebody invited Billy Graham to come to church. Can you imagine that? Do you know his name? I don't know his name. Never heard of him. Don't you know who he is? I guarantee God knows him. He probably didn't know when he invited this young 16-year-old scraggly, long-haired fellow to church that this guy would become the greatest evangelist in all of history. And he would come to faith because he invited him to church. That's the power of the new birth. So, invite people to church. How the new birth is accomplished. Now we've said what it is. Now we say how we get there. Verse 5, Jesus said, and here, here's another one. I assure you, verily, verily, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if you went to schools like this, but, you know, when I was in army schools, they would always tell you that if we walk out behind the podium and we stomp our foot, you better pay attention. It's going to be on the test. And so when they walked out of the podium and stomped their foot, you wrote down whatever they said because it was going to be on the test. Church, this will be on the test. Hear it. For the second time, Jesus repeats this. He says, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, unless you're born new with water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What what does that mean? And there's all kinds of interpretations. I'm not going to go into all of them. You can read them. Some people say it's baptism. Some say it's physical birth. It's not any of those things. To the Jewish, to Nicodemus, to the Jewish Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin there, he understood that ritual cleaning by the Jews, that, that if, if a, if a non-Jew became a Jew, what they would do is they, they would be washed, sprinkled, baptized to wash away their sins. So that's what born of the water is. That means that, that we're born of repentance. And it doesn't, we're, we're not, we're not just talking about baptism here, but we're talking, we're talking about a new relationship with God. How, how is, how is that accomplished? Repentance comes from two words. It means after in mind. It, it results in a change of mind and then a change of behavior. It's not enough just to say I change my mind and I think differently, but you actually do something different. So repentance results in a change in your life. So Jesus says a new birth. One of the, one of the manifestations, one of the signs, one of the indicators is that you have a new mindset. That, that's what it is. There is a great passage of scripture in, in the book of Ezekiel. And it's over in chapter 36 and they're talking about the glory of, of Israel when Israel's restored. 
And this is what repentance of a people looks like. It says in that chapter 36, 24, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the country. This is God speaking and will bring you to your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurity and all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll place my spirit in you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You know, you notice the step there? That God has given them something new and then they follow. Then I'm going to give you a new heart and then that will cause you to follow my statutes and ordinances carefully. You know, a lot of us, we start the other way. We say, well, what I got to do is I got to clean my life up. I got to stop doing all this stuff that I'm doing. But the Bible says what you got to do is you come to Christ and then he cleans it up. He fixes, he gives you a new heart, gives you a new attitude, a new way of looking at it. That's what that is. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away and new things have come. So you're not the same person. You're different. Profoundly different. So, born of the water, born of the water is washed by repentance and forgiveness of our sin, walking away from our old lifestyle, born, and then, then of the Spirit, where the Spirit comes in and starts leading and guiding you, starts directing your life. That's, that's what that means. And you know, in a lot of us, that's radical change. But I'm, I'm gonna tell you something about that. A lot of that radical change is over time. You know, some, some of you say, well, I, you know, I was born again, but you know, I didn't, I didn't really start seeing progress in my life for this, for these years, or I didn't start, I I struggled with this particular sin or that particular sin or this issue or, or, or I'm still struggling with this issue. New birth doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't, it doesn't fix all of your life, but it begins a process. It begins a process at that day. You, you can look back and say, well, you know, I'm not the Christian I was, but I'm, I'm not the Christian I ought to be, but I'm sure not the one that I used to be. I'm sure headed down the road in the right direction. And that's what that means, that God's beginning to do a work on you. Jesus clarifies in verse 6, he says, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit. <laughs> you know, there's some things only the spirit can do. The flesh can't do it. You can't. I, I told you the, the, the rich man can't take his eyes off his wealth. The, the person is not going to follow Christ daily and through danger. Pick up a cross and follow him daily. If I took my car, took AJ and Jacob after lunch today, I said, hey, guys, we're going to go down to the airport, and I'm going to fly you guys up to Washington. And we'd go down there and say just for a minute that I could get my car out on the runway of the airport over in Greensboro, and i drive down the runway. AJ and Jacob are over there looking at me like, your car is not going to fly. We are not going to Washington in this vehicle. And, and sure enough, we're not. And if I, if I really think that, I'm, I'm greatly deceived because my car is not an airplane. And you and I, we're never going to do the things that God called us to do unless his spirit comes into us and changes us and makes us a new person and allows us to listen and open up his ordinances and change and obey his law and do the things he called us to do. That's what that means. Flesh is flesh. It's not spirit. Rebirth is entirely of the spirit. 
And then Jesus tells us again in verse 7, because some people like me are really slow, and he knows he's got to say it again. And he says, listen in verse 7, do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. You must be born again. He stamps his foot again and tells him how important it is. Look, Look at this. He tells you, I assure you, two times in here. He says he's born six times. There's two directives in this eight verses, two direct imperatives, commandments to be born again. I think he wants us to get the point. You you have to listen to that. It's a very strong term. It's not negotiable with anybody. And here, here was a man that spent his whole life working to claim God's favor. And I'm going to tell you, it's the same way for Christians today. Because there's people that have belonged and have worked and have earned and have achieved. And they just can't accept that none of that counts in God's math. It's only a spiritual transformation to be born again. That's all that counts. It only counts to be born again. The third thing, rebirth changes your whole life. Changes everything about your life. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows exactly where it pleases. You don't see the wind. You don't, you can hear it. You can feel its effect. You can see its effect. Sometimes the wind blows really softly, turns over your lawn chairs. Sometimes it blows really hard and knocks a 150 year old oak tree down can be very powerful. You you don't know. You, you kind of know what direction it's coming from. But I mean, with modern weather and forecasting, we know a little bit, but we don't know everything. The, the wind is largely an unseen power. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Rebirth is going to change your life in ways that you cannot predict, in ways that you cannot know. The Bible, there, there are people when, when, when you're changed, when you're born again, when you come to Christ, he begins working in you. You wake up one morning and you say, well, some of the things I used to like to do, I don't even want to do those things anymore. I don't know why it is. I, I've heard, I've heard countless people say that to me. You know, I used to, I used to have to drink every time I went out with my friends. I just don't care about it anymore. It's just not important to me. I used, I used to do this or do that. And, and you see, God's changed all that. It's not like they have to put a big discipline in their life not to do it. They, God's, they're not going to do it. That, that's a change that he's talking about. And you can definitely tell when it's working. And then Jesus wraps it up. He says, so it is with everybody born of the Spirit. Let, let me tell you, church. I, I want you to hear this. You cannot have the Spirit of God living in you and be the same person. You cannot. It is impossible. God will change you. He will make you more like him. Every day. I've told you this story before. I want to share it with you again because there's not a better illustration to show that. David Platt, who's uh, president of the IMB now, um, I've heard him say this a couple of times in sermons that I've heard him preach. It's a powerful illustration. Work with me. If I told you this morning, if I were late for church and got to be about 11.15, I wasn't here. AJ said, where's the preacher? We've sung all the music. It's time for the preacher. And I walk in and I say, okay, guys, I'm sorry I'm late, but... I got run over by a truck out here on the highway, and uh, I'm late. I'm sorry, but I'm here. And you say, a truck? What kind of truck hit you? You say, oh, yeah, there was one of those big 18-wheelers, and I was standing out inside my truck. I was, you know, I was on the road. My car wasn't doing right. I stand out on the road. This big truck flattened me down, and I'm late. 
<laughs> he said, you're late. Why? You're lying. <laughs> because nobody that gets hit by a truck traveling 40 or 50 miles an hour looks the same. Right? And in a much greater way, nobody that's hit by the Holy Spirit in their life will stay the same way. How about that? That's what God will do. He'll change your life. So, so let me, let me tell you, here's an indicator in your life. Look back at what God's done in your life. Because if God has been doing things, taking away some wants, adding some things that are Christ-like, taking away some things that you know you shouldn't do or the Bible says you shouldn't do, adding some things that you should do, struggling more with things that were very easy to you before, and now you say, well, I just don't know. I don't think I ought to be doing that. Maybe change your giving pattern. Maybe changes your service pattern. Maybe changes the way you love people or forgive people. Maybe changes your habits or your morality. All of those things. You can look back at your life and you can see the Spirit's effect on your life. Jesus says that. He says, the wind blows where it pleases. That's the wind is the spirit. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. You don't know where it's going. Church, if you're serving Christ under control of the Holy Spirit, you never know what he's going to do with you. He might take one of you guys and set you up and put you in some mission field you never thought about. And some of you are retired and you think, oh, God's through with me. God doesn't have a retirement plan. He might set one of you in some place that you never thought before. That's what God's spirit can do in your life. So that's what it means. Rebirth changes your life. My final thing. I just got, I've got, these are six points. They're very quick. This is my conclusion. Nothing new. Let me, let me tell you. You don't come to God after you get it all right. You, you might say, well, Jim, I'm going to get reborn after I, get, I, I've got to get some stuff out of my life first. I've got to, I've got to stop this or I've got to stop that or I've got to get up my, I've got to get a handle on this. No, we're going to sing in just a minute one of the great hymns of our faith. And it says, come as you are. Come just like you are. Come down here all broken and dirty and God will make you clean. That's so great. That's what I love about him. He doesn't care who you are. He knows He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you a whole lot better than I do. He knows you better than your spouse or your family. And he still loves you and he died for you. And he wants you to come to him and he'll work a new work in your life. That's what he'll do. So don't, don't be afraid of that. Come just like you are. Let, let me tell you, you'll never be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to be born again. You, you won't be perfect. You're still gonna struggle. You're still gonna sin. You're, you're still gonna fall. Look at, look at the apostles. There's, there's stories of failure and restarting. That's what it is. But God's working. He, he's making us Christ-like. Expect change in your life. Sometimes we think our life's boring. When you're born again, your life's going to be changing all the time. Let me tell you, you will never feel like you're not worthy or you're not valuable because God will use you every day until he calls you back to his kingdom. You know, I love to talk to senior citizens and, and sometimes they're struggling. They've got terrible health problems and their, their family, their friends are all gone. And yet they say, you know what? It's the best days of my life. Because I, I'm here and I can read my Bible and I can pray and, and I know I can see it. I know God's coming. I know, I know it's right there. It's just right over there. That's what God's Spirit does for you. And I heard Johnny Hunt say this week, he was talking, he has a friend of his who mentors him who's 92 years old and it's this real famous guy. I don't know. He's a businessman. He's done a lot of spiritual 
a, a lot of good faithful Christian work as a businessman. And Johnny Hunt said, he, so I try to meet with him about once a month. And he says, somebody asked me, he says, how do you, how do you get time with this guy who's 92 years old? And he said, he told me his friends are all dead. He's got plenty of time. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, as we get older, God's spirit fills us up. We have time. He, God will use you. But there'll be change in your life all through your life. Somebody's sitting out there and say, Jim, I can't understand this. I mean, this, this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, God will take me like I am. He'll take me the way I am. He'll take me with all the things that I have, all my problems and all my sin and all. Yes, he will. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I've, I've told you exactly what the Bible says it is. The Bible says that it's a change of hearts, a new spirit, that it's, that it, you come to it by repentance and by Your sins are washed away and a change in life. Your spirit fills your life and starts doing things you can't imagine. That's what the new birth is. But you won't be able to explain it. Don't leave here today and not hear this. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. All of us. We have to be born again. Jesus offers no other way. There is no other way. There's no other path to the kingdom of God. In fact, we're going to learn... We're going to learn down in verse 18, I believe it is, that Jesus says that if we don't believe in him, there's no option. Somebody will say, you know, I just don't quite believe in Jesus. Then there's no option for that. Jesus says the people that don't believe in him are condemned already. And I'm not making that up, church. That's exactly what it says. But you can always change. As long as you have breath and as long as you have life, you can change. There's no other way. It doesn't matter if you're a member of the Sanhedrin or you're a Pharisee or if you're a deacon or if you're a trustee or if you're a member of Sunday school or a teacher in the Sunday school or a member in the choir or if you're a preacher or a music director or a youth leader. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have to be born again. We all have to be. That's the only way we'll ever enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you something. Twelve born again leaders. Twelve born again apostles. Who were scared and unqualified and untrained. Well, I don't know if they were untrained. They walked with Jesus for three years. That probably trained them pretty good. But they had a whole lot against them. And when those 12 men died, the gospel had traveled to all the Greek-speaking world. Which was two-thirds of the civilized world. They had taken it on their back. That's what 12 people surrendered to the word of God can do. Now, what I'm going to tell you right here, I want you to listen to me. And I love you. And I've, I've been in this church and I love, I know you. But I will tell you this. That either we have a church that has a lot of people who haven't met the risen Christ and are lost in their sins. Or we have a church with baby Christians who haven't surrendered their lives to the Holy Spirit. Because if we had 50 believers surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we would change this community in ways that we could not imagine. So, either we're lost in our sin, or we need to surrender our life to Jesus. And we need to say to him what that song said, that Lord, whatever your, my will is, and whatever my desire is, and whatever my talents are, I'll give them to you. And I'll let you have them. I'll let you do with them what you need. Because, you know, you can be born again and then you can sit back and say, I'm going to sit on all this stuff for myself. And, and you can resist the Holy Spirit. And, and, I, and, and you've ever, ever done that? Have you, have you ever done that and, and you feel like God's calling you somewhere and you say, I, I, I'm going to wait right now. Or, or you, have this, you have this financial gain and, and you think, 
oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wait on that right now. Or, or somebody calls you and says, can, can you be a part of this or be a part of that? And you say, nah, I don't think I can. But when we surrender our life to Christ and we say, Lord, you can have me, all of me. You can do what you wish. You, you can have my will. You can have my family. You can have my time. When you do that, then God can do a lot. So church, I urge you, I beg you, come to Christ. Come, come to Him and say, Lord, whatever you wish. I think I think most of the people in our church have come to Christ. I think they've done that, but but you know we we've got to let we've got to let God have His have His way here. We we've got people in our community that are dying without Jesus. We've got folks that are lost that never heard the gospel. We've got a church filled with people that mostly have heard the gospel. Boy, we ought to we ought to make sure they all come and hear it. What a, what a great and glorious thing that they could come and sit like Billy Graham who was lost and came to those revival meetings and walked out a changed person. You can't have the Spirit of God in you and not be profoundly changed. Have you been born again? Have, have you done? That's the question you've got to ask between you and God. And the last thing I want to tell you, and I don't, want, I don't want you to leave without this. He loves you. This whole plan is available because He loves you. You, you know what? I, I think for a long time I thought that God kind of needed me. Like, you know, I, I was special. And God really needed me. And the more that I got to know God, the more I realized how unworthy I am. And how much he didn't need me. And now what I think is, is I look at it and say, I can't believe God uses me the way I am. And who I am. And what I've done and where I've been. And yet God loves me. And he called me. And he equipped me. And, and, and he didn't, he didn't equip me to do something that I couldn't do, but he equipped me to do something that I did do. And that's not because I deserved it. I want you to know this whole plan is based on his love. We're, we're going to get there. See, we didn't even touch this great scripture that we're going to get to next week. I'm going to spend a, two weeks from today, I'll spend a whole sermon on John 3.16. A whole message for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And see, the great beauty of that is, is the only thing that you have to do and I have to do is believe. He's done everything else. And that's because he loves us. I want you to know that, church. I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, Jim really beat us up because we're not doing all this stuff. No, I want you to hear that God loves you. Because that's a great message. Remember that he loves you. Father, thank you for your word. Let it pour over our hearts and do with us what it will. Thank you for loving us this much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.